Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm the founder of the Think Tank for Women in Business and Technology and the FemPeak platform with the mission of raising women's socioeconomic status. My guest in today's podcast is Elle Ross. She's a best-selling author, TV and film writer, public speaker, and seasoned coach. She's the author of Confident as Fuck and The Paleo Thyroid Solution. I watched Elle's interview on impact theory and women of impact, and I was super impressed by her story. She's a great example of someone who has taken her health in her own hands after she struggled to get an accurate diagnosis and solution to her thyroid problem. Elle has had a very impressive trajectory from a career in tech to gaining success in the media and her unique approach to health and well-being. So let's dive right into the conversation with Elle Ross. So yeah, so tell me a little bit about your background and uh, because I discovered you from Tom's podcast uh, and, you know, and, and I watched the video, I was really impressed uh, with the fact that you took your health into your own hand. Now, you just told me offline that uh, you also have a background in technology and I didn't know that part because when I looked at your website and your, you know, your, it's not the first thing that's in view. So that's super important. So maybe even I wonder whether that had an impact on the fact that you decided to um, take matters into your own hand. Did it, did it empower yeah, you? Well, it was. So I had an interesting experience right out of college. So I was like, you know, 21, 22 years old. I got uh, very lucky, you would say, and I was hired as like the seventh person at one of the fastest growing tech companies in San Francisco during and pre before Y2K. So this was extremely hot time in the 90s. And uh, so I initially got a job as the assistant to the owner and the company was growing so fast that I kept getting promoted and I kept getting promoted. So at the age of 22, I managed 100 computer consultants throughout the state of California working for Fortune 500 companies on huge tech projects. So for example, um, Pacific Bell, which is now probably named something else, but the big phone company in California needed to do like a 50,000 workstation upgrade from MS-DOS to Windows NT at the time. And uh, so we would put together these teams of projects. And at the time, computer consulting was very popular because a lot of these big companies did not want to take on people and pensions and give them benefits. They wanted to come in, fix this thing, get out, right? So this was a really, really popular business model, probably still is. So anyway, I was extremely successful. In fact, um, of all of the people, so I was 22, the other people in my company that did my same job were 35 and older and had been doing it for 10 years. I was more successful than all of them. I was the highest producer. And then, and I write about this in my second book, Confident as F-U-C-K. I don't know if we can swear on here, so I'll just <laughs> yeah, say you can. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Confident as fuck. So uh, in my second book, I talk about this whole story, which I'll give you the cliff notes of, which is I actually became physically disabled because of that job. I was working so fast and so hard with my hands on the computer that I ruined them for life. Now, I can talk with my hands now. I can go for a swim. I can use my hands, but there was a time when I could not even lift a fork to my mouth. Um, I could barely move my arms. I was in chronic pain. I think I may be very close to that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a huge problem. And, and I, you know, the thing is, is that like I, 
I'm already known as a fast talker. I do things fast. I'm very efficient. I get a lot of stuff done. I'm an incredible multitasker, right? Which I think is actually somewhat detrimental to health because it really raises the fight or flight. But putting that aside for now. So I got permanently disabled and the California court system rated 40% disability. So here I am, I'm 22. I'm making all this money. I'm making more than anyone I even know my age. I am sitting there going, I am going to be retired by the time I'm 35. The next promotion that I was about to get was to be making a quarter of a million dollars a year at the age of 22. Um, and I was just like, this is great. I'm freaking set. I'm never leaving this job. You know what I mean? Like, this is amazing. Had my own office, Armani suit, etc. And I can talk to you about the skills and confidence that it took to actually actually be that person there later. But the long story short of it is, is that I literally couldn't use my hands anymore. And there is not one job in this world that anyone can think of where you don't need to use your hand, except for maybe interpreter, TV journalist, actor, voiceover, right? Um, and so I was left in the dust at the age of 22 going, oh my God, my life just started and it also just ended. You know, it just started and I was like going to be a mogul in the tech industry. And now I can never work in that industry again, much less at a computer. Oh my God, what I'm going to do? Because the truth is, is that people in wheelchairs have more job prospects than I do. You cannot not, I couldn't be, I can't even work at Starbucks. I couldn't wait tables. I, I can't work at a cashier. I couldn't be a grocery wow. store clerk, right? To that, so To that level. Wow. Yes, um, every single person who's got this, right? If you have a permanent hand disability, particularly in that arena. Um, so, you know, people in wheelchairs have actually more job prospects than I do because they can sit behind a computer and use their hands, which is most of the world nowadays. So at that point, I was like, oh my God, I, I, now we had an insurance policy at the company, which gave me like a very, like a preschool teacher's salary per year, you know, but I was used to making six figures and was planning on making much more. I was extremely ambitious in my life and, you know, had was on the route to actually satisfying that. And then it's like the universe cut the golden handcuffs off my wrists. And so I had to reevaluate what I was going to do. And I was like, well, I can't sit around for the rest of my life and do nothing. I need to make more than 40,000 a year. You know, I live in California, but aside from that, that's not much, especially when you're living on your own. And so from that point on, I said, okay, well, I have my voice. I have to find a way to use my voice. Well, we're talking now, so there's one way. <laughs> um, and so I did, eventually it worked out, but it was a 20 year journey. I, uh, from there went into acting and improvisation and then voiceover and then continued to go up the ladder. At the time that I was disabled, there was no such thing as a podcast. Um, there barely was even really, I mean, there was internet, but it was you know limited. No one even really had cell phones, certainly not smartphones then. So I just thought, okay, well, I'm gonna have to go classically train as an actor. I'm gonna have to get my chops built and do do the things to build it up. And so that's what happened from being in the tech industry. So I can say a couple things about this. First of all, most people are working in a very unergonomic situation and they don't even realize it. So their shoulders are up, you know, as they're typing, that's a problem. The I'm short. So, you know, all desks and everything and, you know, chairs. Everything is designed for the for the right. and, you know, and, man of a certain <laughs> size. That's right. It's always like the standardized thing. And so now, you know, and nowadays, of course, we have the knowledge, right? There are sit-stand workstations. We realize that we need to sit, stand, get up. In fact, uh, 
at uh, the company I host a podcast for, Primal Blueprint, Primal Kitchen, years ago when they had a main office, they had <clears throat> desk treadmills, you know, mm -hmm. so people could walk while they're doing work if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, they had sit-stand ability and workstations, which I thought was very progressive. So if you are in a nine-to-five job or something that really requires the use of your hands 40-plus hours a week because you're using your hands all day long. People listening to this have probably adjusted their hands 15 times without even thinking about it. Everybody mm -hmm. takes their hands for granted. I'm here to tell you that if you're in the tech industry or you're working at a computer all the time, you're going to get yeah. an issue and you've got to watch it. So in a way, it was a blessing in disguise. I thought it was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I was ashamed of it for 20 years. I wrote a chapter in my second book called um, the, uh, Shame Disables Confidence. Disables confidence. And then I also did a speech called The Shame of Disability and the Disability of Shame because the shame that I had about my disability as an alpha female who was successful was more disabling than the disability itself. It's so, so, but side note, so I was in the tech industry and I got completely injured out of it. Wow, that's amazing. So I work 15 hours a day uh, building this platform. And also I run another business that has paid for. Uh, when I started the platform, I had already spent 120,000 pounds. That's like nearly $200,000, you know, uh, of my own money from the other uh, business into it. Um, so I'm still running that business. Uh, of course, you know, a lot less of my time. Most of my time is now on Fem Peak. But uh, I work 15 hours a day and I work with my hands all the time. And uh, I, I'm definitely feeling, you know, exactly what you're talking about. Like my hands get so tired now that um, you know i do pilates all those sorts of things but i i really like my wrist can't take it anymore there's so many things in pilates that i can do with my body but but my wrist can't take it um so yeah it's uh but yours is i think that some some people also have got maybe predispositions like for example if you have uh, like myself, you know, if you are, if you have ADHD as well, you know, I'm hyper focus or uh, you know, lack of focus. So you just get really zoned into something and then you kind of lose track of time and you continue, you know, injury, you, you know, to the point of injuring yourself, but you're, you continue to go, right? Because your brain is going, your brain is, is not stopping. So tell me about that story. So, okay. You went from there to then, uh, okay. Now you've written a, a book around thyroid and and you figured out how to heal yourself essentially right so you don't have a medical background and you figured out how to heal yourself this is well, so I also empowering had a technological background when i joined the tech industry and i will tell you this when they wanted to promote me to be someone to interview computer consultants i was like i don't know anything about computers. How am I supposed to interview a guy who's a software tester and actually understand or know whether he can do the job or not? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't get this. And they were like, <clears throat> excuse me, they were like, you'll learn, you'll learn. And so I just sat around and the truth is, and this is just an example of confidence. You have the ability to learn something. And if you can learn something on a theoretical level, yes, then it's enough to know whether someone knows what they're doing. Exactly. And the same goes with biology, chemistry. I don't have a medical degree. I have a philosophy degree, okay? So, Me too. But I understand medicine, at least the part of the thyroid. And by the way, that's the, so the two things that happened to me in my life that 
were horrible things seemingly at the time became the best things ever. And I ended up writing books about both of them. And with the advent, I've been using voice recognition software since 1998 when it was extremely limited. Now it's really, really good. Um, but also you can, you know, dictate and then have it transcribed really easily in 30 minutes now. So, you know, there is the difference now with how technology has helped someone like me. But back then, you know, there really wasn't much of that and it was hard to do. So who would have ever thought I would have become a writer? That was definitely not part of the plan when I got disabled and had to only use my voice. It only came up later. Um, and, and, you know, again, that's another story. So I have two books. One is called The Paleothyroid Solution, which is about the second terrible thing, which is getting hypothyroidism and suffering for about six to seven years of my thirties and nobody helping me. And I live in Los Angeles. I went to two dozen endocrinologists, doctors, experts, and nobody knew what the fuck they were doing. And at one point I realized that no one knew what they were doing. And I was like, I'm on my own here. And again, we're at a point where it was sort of like the tech industry was like, I don't know anything about this. You can learn it. And if you learn it enough on a theoretical level, philosophical level, you can understand and wrap your head around it, which is really how, why my book is valuable and a bestseller, because I'm explaining it to you in a way that you'll understand, which is what I always try to do on podcasts, because you don't need to understand the nitty gritty or have passed an organic chemistry test on an MCAT, you know, to go to law, like medical school, you don't need all of that. Now you might need some of it. I'm not in administering anesthesiology, you know, anesthetics to people, of course. Um, but you, you, you don't need to be. And so this goes to, there, there were two topics that I was always adverse to technology and science, never liked either of them, hated all of the classes having to do with anyone. And yet kind of became an expert and very successful in both arenas, which goes to show you that if you just set your mind to something, you can understand it theoretically, you'll be able to grasp it enough to work within it, um, just as I did as someone who hired tech people, right? I really didn't even understand what it was like when a tester was testing something or programming in this language, but I knew enough about it on a theoretical philosophical level to, and enough about people to understand if they knew what was up. So when I had the thyroid issue and I realized I was being left in the dust and no one was helping me and I was getting sicker and these doctors were hurting me and misdiagnosing me, I said, okay, that's it. And the only thing that actually truly helped me during that time was there was an online forum of fellow patients that had like a Yahoo group and they dedicated their lives and free time to helping people who, again, because they had been through it and realized no doctors knew what they were talking about. And thank God for them, because the only people that really helped me help myself were fellow patients with no medical degrees. Okay. Um, and I always like to mention that fellow patient because she helped me save my life. And her book is also one of only three thyroid books I recommend. One is mine, one is hers, and it's called Stop the Thyroid Madness. Her name is Janie Bothorp. The third is a guy out of England who self-published a book called Recovering with T3. These are the only two other authors that I actually recommend for thyroid health. And both of them helped me save my own life at some point. So extremely valuable. And again, they went through it. The best-selling thyroid books are written by patients for a reason, because we understand what it is like. We understand how it feels. <laughs> and we, we, we understand also what it feels like to get out of it. Um, so, I, you know, for sort of two times in my life, I was left in the dust with no roadmap, nowhere for anyone to lead me. And the places I were, you know, was led 
down wrong roads. And so I finally figured out, I healed myself. I actually didn't even use a doctor to correct my thyroid problems. I did it twice in 10 years. I had two severe bouts of hypothyroidism. Um, the second one was called a reverse T situation, but that's, I won't get into the weeds on it. But anyway, two different sort of thyroid issues left in the dust twice by doctors, had to solve it myself, became an expert in it, and then published, you know, have a, have a best-selling book about it. So I'm really glad I did because there's people that have suffered 10, 20 years. Maybe I only suffered six, seven, but those are years I cannot get back. And I would like them back, but I can't. So I am trying to make it easier for everybody to get from A to Z quicker than I did. And that's why I wrote the book. That's why I speak on these topics. That's why I do interviews about uh, that first book and also the second book, which is about confidence. And, you know, had I not had some level of confidence in myself in general that was certainly fostered by my years in the tech industry being a badass, I don't know that I would have been even to navigate and help myself in this situation, but I was not willing to give up. I was persistent and perseverance pays. And um, I'm an example of that. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, you know, one of the things that we do on, on our platform is we have these um, interactive mentorship events where, so it's kind of like how we are having this conversation. So you would come in and actually the person who, we call them Sherpanis. We have uh, six um, six Sherpanis. You know, Sherpas are people who help you to get to the top of Mount Everest. Sherpanis are female Sherpas. So we have six Sherpanis. Each, each of us uh, is focused on one of these uh, six areas of confidence, financial literacy, tech skills. I'm the entrepreneurship Sherpani, uh, but also I'm the founder of the uh, platform and, you know, and the CEO of the company. But um, we have these six, six Sherpanis. And our confidence Sherpani is, uh, is Professor Sarah Seeger, who is a uh, a uh, astrophysicist from MIT. So she's, uh, you know, she's coming there and, and teaching women how to become confident, right? So I think it, it, one of the things that, that we've been talking quite a lot about recently is health. So I think it would be really interesting to have you at one of those events where, you know, people come in and ask you questions. So kind of like a live podcast but with, with a live audience right so people come and uh, so you guys talk for about 10 minutes and then uh, she, they will come and ask you questions and I think it, what would be really interesting and we can talk about that a little bit today in today's podcast is there things that we can learn from the way that you healed your thyroid and we are going to come to talking about that in a bit but is there things is there like a methodology that you could then apply to other areas for example i have adhd you know there's uh, different things like pmdd you know all, all sorts of things that uh, people may uh, deal with at different um, you know areas of their their lives or their different uh, stages of their lives do you think that you have a methodology that can be applied to other health issues as well. Yeah, well, this is sort of, this one right here will sum up almost everything in life, whether it's with confidence or whether it's solving a health issue. The truth is, is that nobody, freaking nobody cares more about you than you. Nobody. So if you are not involved, you are going to get chumped on, man. It's not going to be good. And the truth is, is that we so often look to other people, doctors with MDs from Harvard, which by the way, I don't give a shit. If you have a degree from Harvard or Oxford, I've met moronic idiot 
doctors. And you would go, Elle, how could you say that? The person went to Harvard. How could they be an idiot? They learn what they learn. It's not that they weren't good at it. Their application of it, their interest and their level in furthering their education and being actually a critical thinker is not there. Okay. And so they do fail. Um, so we often want to put our health into the hands of someone else. Please save me. You have an MD. You should know, right? You went to school for this. You went to Harvard. Please help me. Mistake number one. <laughs> so if anyone diagnoses you with something or you think you have a problem, the best that you can do is be an advocate for yourself, but also learn everything you can about it. There are so many people, thyroid issues are huge. It's all over the world. It's 200 million plus people. For example, even ADHD or ADD, any uh, depression, you would go to a psychiatrist, let's say, and they might prescribe you something. But if they're not checking the thyroid, they are not ruling out a very important component of the brain that does breed those problems. So is it really this or is it that? Do you really have uh, blood pressure or are you just insulin resistant? Do you, you know, and so Again, being more of the mindset of the whole, the functional, the cause, the root, and the other. Otherwise, you just get patched work like a quilt. You know, you got the symptom, they patch it. You get the symptom, they patch it. And that's the Western model. And 300,000 people die a year of Western medicine. Now, granted, it, thank God it's there for us. If you get your hand cut off, you don't do naturopathic medicine for that, right? You have to go to an emergency room. But the truth is, is that stop putting everything in the hands of other people. And this goes to confidence too. So including stop looking for other people to evaluate, you know, validate you, right? We look outside of ourselves for approval. I had someone, so, you know, I, I'm also a comedy TV film writer. And a lot of people don't know that that was my first thing that I've done. And I still do. Then I came around and wrote a nonfiction health book. So the people in the health industry that know me did not even know that I had this background. And then I write a book on confidence, which is self-help and self-improvement. And I had a New York times bestselling author ask me, they were like, Hey, how did you get like a publisher or people to see you as this person who talked about confidence when initially you were like a thyroid paleo health person? And I was like, because I didn't ask for fucking permission. And this is a New York times bestselling author. You'd think would have a level of confidence, but he was waiting for someone else to come in and yeah, exactly. To come in and do that. That's the truth in business and women. Yeah. waiting for people to approve, waiting for an opportunity. Listen, when I was in the tech industry, every single employee of mine was a man, okay? There was like one chick out of the hundred, okay? Now now it's different. I'm sure there's lots of tech, but it was, it's a complete- There isn't enough. There's still nowhere near enough women. Right. And so, so how did I make it as a 22-year-old, you know, in this company? <laughs> because I had levels of confidence and not afraid to speak up not afraid to speak my mind, share my ideas, not afraid to go, nope, don't like it. Uh, all of those things, those that's authentic, first of all, and authenticity reigns supreme, but also people listen to you. Exactly. <laughs> people exactly. listen to you when you are a dominant personality. Now, granted, you know, there are people in business who are super dominant and they're jerks. That's not confidence. If you've got some bully ass prima donna, who's a salesperson making all the money, but she's a bitch at the office. That's not confidence. That's a misuse of her confidence. She's probably got confidence as a baseline. And she's just a fucking bully. She's a mm -hmm. bitch. That's not yeah. confidence. Right. But so, so I think that I was used to as a tomboy with an older brother growing up, just used to being like, hey, 
hey, you know, and like yeah. making sure I got in there. I also had great experiences with all, I went to an all women, an all girls uh, grade school for eight years, which I think really, really helps because in a class of women, you know, when you're going through puberty, you're not worried about the cute boy you have a crush on next to you. And you're not afraid to raise your hand, right? So when you're with all girls, you're like ready to, you know, and I, I believe in that. I'm not saying that everyone needs to go to an all girls grade school, but I will say that I believe it helped me. I also went to an all girls summer camp for seven weeks every summer for six years. That is incredibly um, helpful. And the part of all of those things that are helpful is you understand and get to work and team up with women, which in my second book, Confident as Fuck, I talk about this. Women need to get more pro-women. Stop exactly. watching these stupid housewife shows where they're all fighting with each other and it's just the worst of stereotype of women, you know? Um, and also, too, competing and being jealous. These are not traits of confident people. Confident people do not compete and they do not, they are not jealous. And um what do I mean by that? Well, there's always going to be some type of competition, but even if you were in a running competition for a marathon, let's say, see, if I were entering the competition and I have this mindset that I don't compete with people, that's true because when I go in there, I'm just going, I'm going to fucking win this thing. I am going to win this. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to be first place, but I don't say it or think it in the sense of, I'm going to kick her ass. I can't wait to see her. My sense you focus of being, on yourself. That's right. My sense of being first has nothing to do with whether you lose or not, or mm -hmm. whether I'd revel in that or not. It's not even a part of it. I don't even care what you think, because I'm not there to, I'm just there to be the best. I'm there to yeah. be number one. That is a definitely a different mindset than competing against somebody, if that makes sense. Yes, and the other exactly. side of it too, is confident people and successful women are not jealous of others usually yeah. or and now envy is one thing envy you can look at someone and go oh man i wish i had a private jet that's so cool and there's nothing wrong with that jealousy is usually this is really truly what it is people who are jealous of other people when you're jealous of someone you actually are hoping that the person you're jealous of fails at the thing you wish you were successful at yourself you're actually hoping for someone else's failure jealous people suck I never hang out with them. If I sense that anyone I'm in a relationship with of any kind, friendship or otherwise is jealous of me, gone, 100% gone, because that person is always hoping for you to fucking fail. Yeah. Count on it. And by the way, no one likes jealous friends. You know who they are. They are the people that you don't feel you can shine bright around because it's going to dampen or bum their day out. Like you don't call them to tell them about this great thing because you have a feeling it's going to affect them. Yeah. Get rid of all of those types of women. And if you are one of those women, you're never going to freaking make it unless you get over this. So the competition part is that the belief in that there's abundance for everybody, you know? So if you came to me and said, Hey, I would love to be a writer and start a podcast. I'm not immediately threatened. It's the exact opposite. I'm like, great. How can I help you succeed? Because confident people are encouraging of other people's success. We don't have a lack of abundance mindset and we don't have the competitive jealousy thing. Like, I wouldn't care if you got more followers than me and had a more successful book. I'd be happy for you. I'm still happy with what I'm doing. Like, I don't measure myself against, against other, people. other people. And that is why I am so successful. It's also why I freaking win competitions all 
the time since I was like a kid, you know, and I think it's because I don't really compete. And the times where it has showed up and maybe many, many years ago, I was a little bit competitive with someone. They won, I lost, and it wasn't just anything like they succeeded. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that I feel this way when that's the only two times I've done it in my life. And look what happened. They soared to great heights and maybe I was down here at the time, right? So, um, and again, who knows the correlation there? So anyway, I'll, I'll let you go on, but hopefully that I think it's a, no, no, that's, that's fascinating. And, and I definitely would like to, I'm going to put you in touch with Professor Seeger. I think it would be really amazing for you and her to have a conversation like this and, and have it at, uh, with the live audience so people can ask you questions. I think it would be fascinating. Oh, I wanted to just uh, touch on this too. So you mentioned Mount Everest and you mentioned Sherpanis. Sure okay, so here's the funny thing. So I am a Mount Everest aficionado. I've probably read oh, every really? book about every Everest expedition. I've seen every documentary. I have <laughs> researched this to no end. And there are lots of really interesting things about climbers on Mount Everest mm -hmm. and confidence that actually is a- Yeah, that's why, that's why we, we chose that name, Sherpanis, right? So because the, and the, the platform is called Fem Peak. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's to help women to get to, because we think that women are nowhere near their peak, you know, in right. confidence, in financial literacy, in tech, we have such a long way to go. We are not even at base camp. You know, you look at the, the whole world is run by 10 co corporations, five in China, five in America, and they're all founded and run by men. So there's no female perspective uh, at the top level, you know, at, at, on, the, on the top tier of, um, uh, you know, business, technology, politics, uh, art, everything. Even in areas where women, even areas that are typically known as female domain, like cooking and sewing, you know, uh, dancing, uh, it's still uh, the highest paid chefs are men, the highest paid uh, dancers are male, the highest paid fa fashion designers are, uh, or even tailors are, are usually men, you know, so, um, so we want to change that. And, and again, it's not about, we always say like, for, for women to win, men don't have to lose. We are not talking about comparing in that sense. We are talking about the fact that there is a lack of female perspective in the top tier, right? Right. And yeah. so what your work is interesting to me from two perspectives. One is the confident, uh, you know, confidence side of it, which is where I'm going to put you in touch with uh, Professor Seeger. And then our health Sherpani, women's health Sherpani, is also a fascinating, fascinating, extremely accomplished doctor and, you know, a femtech investor um, and uh, Dr. Uh, Krakover. So uh, this is just fascinating what we are trying to build. And I think like you will be so uh, inspiring to our audience and they would really benefit from what you have, you know, and um, they're always looking for mentors. You know, it's exactly the kind of audience that I think uh, we should get you in front of. The, I, uh, I want to mention this one thing though about Mount Everest, which happens often, and this is related to what I had to say about competitiveness. Mm -hmm. also could be ego. So there is a woman who died at the peak of Mount Everest. She had already peaked all of the six of the seven summits and Everest was the last one. And this is where climbing to the top becomes a problem. So she had already run out of oxygen, but she was just right almost at the peak. She was told can't do it. But again, it was that like ego of like, I didn't come all the way here and spend all this money to not get to the top. 
and then she died had she turned around. So this is where ego can trip you up on the way to the top. We have to be careful of those. It gave me goosebumps. Yes. And the other is a lot of climbers have gotten to issues because of competition with other groups. And again, you compete, you lose. That is what I say. So all of the issues that have happened with climbers on, not all of them, but some of them. And by the way, there's 300 dead frozen bodies on Everest right now for a reason. You know, some were ill-prepared, but for the most part. So confidence can't override lack of preparation. That's exactly. it. You know, talk about that in my book. But also it's this ego thing like no Knowing when you do need to quit, not necessarily quit a whole industry. I'm not saying like, don't be confident in yourself, but when ego gets in the way that actually it's killed a lot of people on Everest. And um, so that can hurt you in business uh, ego, but also the competitive part, because that has hurt other people and even gotten them killed on that mountain. And so I think that's why I'm so fascinated with Everest and the people that climb it, because think about it, you spend $80,000 to get there, right? You know, you're, you're almost there, you're, you can see it. And yet you're making a decision that then kills you. Then what was that worth? It was all really what to say, you finally hit that seven summit because you're already there. You're almost there. Sometimes if it's not right, it's not right. And you need to bail. And so these, there's so many lessons that can be learned from Everest. That's why I just wanted to throw that out there because I find it very fascinating and it's related to all the things we're talking about. It is absolutely, absolutely uh, very, very important. Um, I really want to also get into some of the health uh, aspect of what you've been working on. I know that the interview you had with Tom was mostly on that, but these things that you just talked about are so important for women as well. So tell me a little bit about your journey with the thyroid. Um, so you were misdiagnosed, nobody was listening, you know, you learned to advocate for yourself, but eventually you took it in your own hand. Did you go and read a lot of medical journals? How, how did you, where did you start from? No, I didn't. Um, well, basically, so I, I was, I was sick and sick and had all these symptoms and the doctor, uh, the, the initial symptom was that I kept getting my period all the time. And I was 30 and had no issues and was, you know, never had an issue there. And for the first couple of times, I was like, all right, maybe it's a fluke. Then it kept happening and it kept happening. Like I never didn't have my period. I was like, what's going on? And I went to a doctor and I was dumb and didn't know anything about anything. And um, the doctor just wanted to patch the symptom. So they gave me the birth control pill. They didn't say, why is a 30 year old who's in perfect health and has never had gynecological problems suddenly bleeding all the time? Maybe we should look into that, but they didn't. They gave me a solution to a symptom. I bled through that pill. They gave me another one. I bled through that. I bled through four different birth control pills, getting fatter and fatter the whole time, acne, hair falling out. I had over 30 to 40 symptoms. They are all listed in my book. They were an absolute disaster, including extreme depression because hypothyroidism, uh, we have more receptors in our brain for the thyroid hormone than anywhere else. So, um, Anyway, life was an absolute mess. I mean, it was a total disaster. I ended up developing a fibroid and a polyp in my uterus, one of which had to be surgically removed, um, all because of uninformed doctors. And that is why the tagline on my book, The Paleothyroid Solution, is stop feeling fat, foggy, and fatigued at the hands of uninformed doctors. Reclaim your health, you know? And so I went along this way. I kept, again, looking for doctors to help me. It wasn't until I found those fellow patients online, they gave me a tip on something that I should get tested. And then that led me in the direction of going, 
I know I can do this on my own and I'm going to. I actually ordered my own thyroid hormones over the internet, black market from Thailand or wherever the hell, and uh, started dosing myself and I dosed myself back to health. Then several years later, I had another rare but increasing problem called reverse T3, where the thyroid hormones I was taking start to sort of reject you or not reject you, but they, they don't work really as well. I won't get into the details about that. Um, but then here I was again, a second time in 10 years going, oh my God, now I have another problem that even more doctors don't know about. Still haven't found any that know about the first one I solved. What am I going to do? And so I was left in the dust again, and I had to do it myself this time much harder because the hormone that I had to take for that problem, which I still take uh, thyroid hormone is extremely hard to get online and it is extremely difficult to get any doctor to prescribe it. So I was on my own again, twice in a decade. So I didn't go through that for nothing. That's why I wrote the book. I've been through it all when it comes to thyroid health. And um, again, fi fixed it myself. I shouldn't have had to do that. But I coach people all around the world in thyroid and other topics. It's always the same story. It's always the same. It's always the same mismanagement. They didn't take the right test. They don't know how to evaluate the test. They're not giving the patient enough hormone. They're not looking at a, a precursor to it that could have caused it, that maybe they don't even need thyroid hormone. They didn't look into any of this stuff. Why am I an expert? Well, the truth is, is that Yes, I am a patient, so I've been through it. I had to solve it myself. I had to become an expert in it. Um, but I also had to understand it in a way in order for me to fix it. And again, people used, people used to laugh at me when I decided to choose a major and get a degree in philosophy because they thought it was ridiculous and useless and stupid. But turns out I'm kind of a philosopher now uh, for work. And the ability to pull, and this is why I think I was successful in business as well, is the ability to pan that camera out, look at a very large picture with all of its problems and start attacking. Connect the right. dots. That's right. Start to connect the dots. That critical thinking, which is so missed in our society right now, particularly yeah. in the U.S., people need to critically think. Um, and so that skill right there is really what probably helped me save myself. And so I learned about it enough to understand it on, in the ways that, you know, maybe not like a doctor would, um, and was able to fix myself twice. And so now I help people help themselves through working with their doctors, educating their doctors, and also just helping themselves so that they understand what they're taking, what they're swallowing, how it works, and how to look at their blood results, how to take control, and again, reclaim your health. Like I said in the beginning, nobody gives a shit about you more than you. I don't care. My mother loves me more than anything in this whole world. I, she's the love of my life, but she still, I will say, no one cares more about you than you. Yeah, you are it for you. And people will go, well, that's not true. Um, you know, I've got friends. I've got, the thing is, is that no they all thought. have their lives. <laughs> you know? That's true. And also there isn't ever a thought you've had that isn't about you. And you might say, well, that's not true. My friend was in the hospital and I brought them flour because it made you feel good. It's still about fucking you. So start to embrace that by taking control. 
right? And that's, that's regard with mindset. So with the life coaching and the confidence stuff I do, that's also with your health. If someone diagnoses you with something or you have a problem, you better become an expert or else you're going to end up like me wasting seven years of your thirties right now. It wasn't wasted. Thank God I wrote a book. Okay. No, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I wouldn't go back in time and change it. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I do what I do so that you don't have to wait six, 10, 20 years of your life being sick. And then it's really tough when you talk to patients and they have had a hysterectomy that they never needed to have, that they had an organ removed that they never needed to have removed because they didn't know better because they trusted their doctor. And then when they find out later that that was the thing, it's a really bad day. You know, I have a friend, uh, miscarriages is a really big symptom and infertility of people with thyroid health. And people don't know that they're mismanaged by doctors. The doctors say, sorry, this is what it is. My friend had several miscarriages because um, she's actually also a success story in my book, but she had several miscarriages and again, didn't know she was on thyroid hormone with an endocrinologist, the best in Los Angeles, quote unquote, the best suffered for, for, for started to suffer after like 10 years, complained to him. And he kept saying, well, it's not your thyroid. Everything's fine. It's not that it must be something else. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you need to work out more maybe. And she's like, no, well, it turns out he never tested her for an autoimmune disorder that affects the thyroid. He wasn't giving her the right thyroid hormone. She was literally suffering and having miscarriages because of an uninformed doctor who should have been a freaking expert on the topic. And so that day that she found out because she went to another doctor that was like, uh, you actually have this problem and let's get you fixed up. And Oh my God, your immune system looks like a cancer patient and totally fixed her up that day that she found out that, that, you know, Oh my God, I've been going to this doctor for 10 years. Who was actually a total, total charlatan, really, even though, you know, major degrees from major institutions and a top doctor in LA, she, you know, rolled up into a ball and cried her eyes out. No one needs to have miscarriages that you don't have to. No one needs to have these organs removed. You might not even need to be on Prozac because again, it could be a thyroid thing that's causing the depression. And so this is why you must take charge of your own health and you must be your own advocate. It's extremely hard when you have hypothyroidism or a disorder that affects your brain because hypothyroidism will affect your brain. It doesn't affect my brain now because I take thyroid hormones so that I am not hypothyroid, right? But when you are still suffering on medication or not, because you can be on thyroid hormone and still be hypothyroid, it's hard to retain information. And it's also, you have very low emotional wherewithal for things. So it's really difficult to kind of like stand up, speak up and persevere. You become lost, like weeks will go by and you'll be like, I, I need to do something about this, but somehow you kind of can't seem to, which is sort of this general malaise of depression you're going through. And so it can be really difficult, but you have to do it. If I didn't persevere, if I didn't go through and just say, I'm not listening to these freaking doctors, I'm going to figure this out. If I hadn't done all of that, I wouldn't probably be alive right now. And that is not me exaggerating. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So tell me what, what is it that people should do? Like, where do they even start? Let's say, for example, uh, especially a lot of women in their, you know, late thirties, mid forties, early forties, as they're getting to a new stage of their lives, right? They're, they're starting to see 
a different, you know, the change in their energy, or maybe they are, you know, there are a lot of people also in, like, say, mid forties, for example, that are starting to become perimenopause, right? And they're they're asking questions around, um, you know, like they they just don't feel they they don't even have the same self worth, you know, because they're feel they're not feeling quite themselves, right? And it's kind of. I sometimes, for example, one of my old, my my best friends, uh, you know, she's she's a bit older than me, and she's going through that phase right now. And and I'm like, it's easy for me to tell her, like, come on, just get up, you know, do this, do that, you know. She's just not feeling it. She's just not feeling it, right? What is the the one thing that somebody can do to get themselves motivated to to the point of saying, I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take you know take this matter in my own hand. And then when they've made that decision, where do they start? So they read your book is uh, that's about thyroid so a lot of people might think oh i have other conditions but you are saying that thyroid is so connected with everything it is the master gland and it is from which a lot of problems stem from so you always rule it out as the first order of business i don't care if you are diagnosed with cancer or depression or leukemia i don't care what the ailment is the thyroid is the master gland aka the thyroid hormones that are dispensed through the gland are in charge of the production and regulation of all of your sex hormones and your heart rate and your metabolism and everything else. So you can sit there and go, wow, I'm gaining weight. I'm gaining weight. Maybe I need to eat differently. Maybe I no, go check the thyroid. Oh gosh, I'm starting to get high blood pressure. You know, my mom had high blood. Nope. Go check your thyroid. How do they do that? How do they do that? Do they just go and, and order a... Oh, uh, well, here's the thing. I, I made it very easy for people because I, like a lot of thyroid patients, I spend $15,000 that I didn't have at the time going through all of this wasted stuff. I wasted thousands of dollars on doctors. So I made a free thyroid guide on my website that tells you every test you need to get to go, do I have a problem? Like, here's the comprehensive panel, what time of day to get tested. It also tells you about how to find maybe a doctor in your area or state or country. It talks about what questions you can call up a doctor's office to sort of ask them to see if maybe they know what they're doing or if they're the old school uninformed idiot. Um, it's not foolproof, but it is a way of kind of going, I'm not gonna waste my copay or I'm not gonna waste an appointment on a doctor who, isn't even aware of these things. So that list, so lrust.com, and there's a tab, yes, this is a thyroid guide, and it has all those tests listed. And then of course, you you know, you know need to know how to evaluate them. And you could look in my book for that. Uh, we would have to have a very long probably discussion if I went through all of the ways to do that. Um, so that's really where that, and that's free. You don't need to buy my book to, to go do that. You also can go onto my website and click press and media and look under thyroid. I have selected ones there. You can learn this by just going through and watching me talk about it in depth on the ones where we only talk about thyroid. You know, this is sort of a mix, mm -hmm. but the ones where I'm really just focused on thyroid, I go, there's lots of details there. So that again, these are all free resources. I didn't have this when I was going through this. There were no podcasts, you know? So please take advantage of it. This stuff is free. So yes, okay, now let's say, you properly rule out the thyroid. Properly ruling out the thyroid is not going to your doctor saying, test my thyroid, and then they say it's fine. That is almost always never true. I've never had someone come to me and say, oh, well, my doctor tested my thyroid, it's fine, it's not that. I go, great, let me see your test. It turns out every single time their doctor was wrong, there was a problem. So you cannot rely on that. But let's say once it's truly 
you know, legitimately ruled out, then you can look at depending on, you know, so there's a couple things. Well, is it get yourself to a functional medicine doctor who might be able to look at things like, do you have toxicity? I had heavy metals. I had high mercury. Okay. You know, I ate fish my whole life and I had metal fillings in my mouth for a while. All right. Well, mercury and heavy metals do affect mitochondrial function, fat burning, thyroid, and lots of things, including certain symptoms. It could be something as simple as low iron. Maybe you've had a couple of kids. Maybe you had some heavy bleeding because of a hormonal thing or whatever. Maybe you had a thyroid problem. You had the bleeding thing I did. You lost all this blood. You got on thyroid hormone, or maybe you're trying to fix it, but you never got up the iron. Sometimes it's as dumb and as simple as a $10 bottle of iron. I mean, I've I've helped fix people who literally that was it. They were so shocked that there wasn't more to the problem. It was like, no, you just need to get your iron up. I mean, sometimes it's very simple. Uh, the other thing too is obviously diet and lifestyle, of course, like sleep. Yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, let's get into that. So I've got I've got the O-ring. Uh, I'm I'm guessing mm-hmm. you you probably have it. Like everybody that I know is uh you know that's uh, very health conscious. So the sleep part is something that I'm I'm really working on. I, for some reason, I just don't seem to get enough deep sleep. Even if I get enough hours, I I don't get enough deep sleep. My deep sleep is like if I get an hour, uh, I'd be like lucky. Uh, I do get enough REM sleep, but not enough deep sleep. So trying to work that out. And then um, you talk about paleo, obviously, you know, like low carbohydrate. I totally agree with that. I just like I'm so uh, I go as far as saying that. I'm trying to get my doctor to put me on metformin, <laughs> so that I, I'm like trying to, because I want to, I want to try that because it's another Don't level. Do of- Don't go on metformin. Don't really. do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Uh, that's also what they tried to give me when they misdiagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's not necessary. There's been some bad studies about some of the side effects. It's really not something anyone needs to do unless you are absolutely at. The bottom of the barrel with a certain health issue. The truth is that most of it can be achieved through diet and lifestyle. So yes. Yeah. So so tell me about that. So okay, low uh, low carbohydrate. Uh, you know, no grains. Um, pretty much. You know, I don't even have bread in my house. Uh, I used to buy uh, being gluten free. I used to buy gluten free pasta, but uh, now I uh, I don't even use that because it's just because it's got the word gluten free doesn't mean that it's okay. You know that it's still got all of the um, pretty much the same kind of symptoms that you know i used to get with gluten so um so okay so uh, low carb how do you achieve for example what you would achieve with metformin um you know in terms of uh, blood sugar control all that stuff uh, with with just diet well the only thing that will turn that around is a high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet. Now I'm not talking about keto, although that would do it for somebody that was seriously pre-diabetic or diabetic. Yes, they would work with someone, go keto and it would go down. Um, So part of ancestral nutrition, and this is not a gimmick when we talk about paleo because we're humans that have been evolving for 2.5 million years. The truth is, is that we have not evolved any substantially more from our hunter-gatherer ancestors like 100,000 years ago, 60,000 years ago. It was only until 10,000 years ago that we actually started to farm, eat grains, and things like that. And that's when we started to see the modern diseases of the world show up on the archaeological record, like rheumatoid arthritis, which, by the way, all autoimmune diseases are extremely affected and ignited by grains and gluten. Um, So, 
And also we didn't have dairy until, you know, like 700 years ago or whatever, or sugar until 200 years ago, right? So these things were not a part of our life. Our bodies are meant to be metabolically flexible, meaning we would go through periods of severe famine, right? You know, we might not catch a beast for three weeks. Well, what happens then? Why didn't we die? Because our bodies went into a state of ketosis where it started to really draw the energy from the fat on our body. And that fueled us and gave us energy so that we weren't passed out all over the place in those three weeks, getting killed by predators because we couldn't, you know, handle it. And so basically ancestral nutrition or paleo primal, uh, you want to call it, is usually a high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet, or moderate fat, moderate protein, low carb diet. When I say low carb, I mean between 50 and 150 grams of total carbohydrates a day. Most Americans and most people are eating over 150 grams of carbohydrates a day, and that's why they have diabetes. So our ancestors were really not consuming carbohydrates and our bodies were not meant to be overloaded by them, even though in the times where it was summer and they came across a blueberry patch and went to town and overate, that's okay. That That's really sort of what summer was for, like overeating these fruits and these abundant things. Yes, we are omnivores, we can eat both, but we really are mostly of a carnivore nature. The truth is, this is really the truth about nutrition, humans never need to eat a carbohydrate in their life to survive, not a vegetable, not a fruit, but you cannot live without protein and fat. So how do the Eskimos survive for hundreds of years off of whale blubber? Because it's protein and fat. They're good to go. The, you know, the, the farmers in the Andes Mountains, they only have yaks or whatever. They don't have vegetables and things like this in, in certain parts of the world. How do they survive? Because humans don't need it. Our actual bodies will create its own glucose. So it's the one thing we don't need. Um, and that says a lot about that particular, you know, uh, macronutrient. Now it is overused in our society and people are mostly sugar burners. Well, what is a sugar burner? You know, if you're a sugar burner, because I would ask you right now, could you not eat from right as we're speaking for another 12 hours, 24 yeah, hours? Definitely. People definitely. would be like, Oh my God, no, I, 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 I never used to be able to, but now I can, because since I, I realized that when now I don't have breakfast, I know that they say, oh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But actually, when I don't eat breakfast, I don't eat until two o'clock. Mm -hmm, um, and I feel extremely sharp, like really yeah. sharp. Your brain prefers, often yes. prefers the, the fuel of fat and ketones yeah. than it does carbohydrates. But so if you're a sugar burner, you would answer that question and go, oh my God, no, because like eight hours from now, I'd probably be exhausted. I'd be cranky. I'd be tired. And believe me, I used to be a sugar burner. A sugar burner is a carbohydrate dependent person. That is yeah. not how we were designed. Our DNA does not want that of us. That is why we're able to and why we thrive. The other truth is that all of the good things that are happening to us internally are happening when we're not eating. A process called autophagy, where your body will, it's like it's not worried about digesting food and putting all of these macronutrients in places it needs to do it. So it's working on cleaning out and kind of going through some like a brush cleaner and cleaning out all the junk and the dirty cells and getting rid of stuff. That's important for anti-aging and longevity. Um, we also do know that caloric restriction is related to some of the longest living peoples ever. We also know that the longest living species have the, secrete the least amount of insulin. 
And so again, every time you put a carbohydrate in your mouth, it doesn't matter if, and now when I say carb, I'm not talking bread and everything, that's a carb, but so is fruit, so are vegetables. All of those things are still carbohydrates. If it's not an animal protein or fat, then it is a carbohydrate. And basically every time you put a carbohydrate in your mouth, it is going to elicit an insulin response. Um, and that's not to say we shouldn't have it. We need it. Insulin is an important, important thing, but this is why we have the type two diabetes problem, or you have people that are skinny fat. They're running on sugar in their sugar burners, but it may not be reflected in their body type, but it's still very dangerous because the glucose is in their blood kind of swimming around. And that's not a good thing either. So, uh, the ancestral model, and this is why paleoprimal living really nips eating disorders in the buds and, and forgets, it makes you really forget about food, which when you're a food addict and when people are sugar burners, you're probably a little bit of a food addict, meaning three or four hours go by, you're looking in the fridge, you need that hit. That's you're so interesting. Yeah, glucose. it completely changes, right? Yes. We have to change. It takes about 21 days. We have to change basically our body and our genetic switches, which is you can call epigenetics, uh, that, that language of sort of upregulating and becoming fat burners, turning that stuff on. So it takes like 21 days to really unaddict your brain to glucose. It does take some willpower when it comes to eating. Sometimes people are good after three days, but really after a couple of weeks, that's when you notice after someone goes paleoprimal and does it the correct way, you'll one day you're like, oh my God, it's five o'clock and I haven't eaten. What the hell? Yeah, that happens to me. When you're like, oh, wow. And I'm not, I'm not even hungry. And then I find that um, I never think about food. You know, there are people who like, they literally- I used to think about food all the time and now I don't. Uh, yeah, so there, there uh, I, I used to have an ex that, was like that. And maybe in the past, maybe I was, it's been so long since I haven't been like that, that I can't even remember. But, the, but it's like, we were having dinner and he was already talking about tomorrow's dinner. <laughs> yes. That's how I was. I would eat lunch, let's say, and already be thinking about like, what could I get away with from dinner? What could I, and again, this is, this is the mind of a carbohydrate addicted sugar burner. So what you're trying to do and what paleoprimal, what this paradigm does is it switches you from being a sugar burner to being a fat burner for mm -hmm. switching over for your body, getting used to using that as its primary and, and most, you know, joyed fuel. And it doesn't mean that I don't need any carbohydrates. I do, of course, I'm, I'm not, I don't need any, car, you know, but um, it's, it's what's dominant in, in yeah. your day. And so you know, there's so many false things. Breakfast is the most important thing, blah, blah, blah. There's all these, there's no rules with paleoprimal. So for example, when you're a sugar burner, there are rules, meaning let's say you are a sugar burner. Well, then yeah, when you go to the gym and you work out and lift weights, you better eat within an hour or your muscles will start to catabolize because you haven't built the metabolic machinery to deal with that. And then you're on this roller coaster, right? And you're still on this hamster wheel of sugar burning. When you're a fat burner and you're finally fat adapted, you can go work out, lift weights, and those rules don't apply. And by the way, doesn't that seem a little crazy that it's like, these people that are like, well, eat every two, three hours, you know, three meals, five snacks a day, like the zone diet. We all did that back in the day. And the reason that doesn't work is a, it makes you a sugar burner and a carbohydrate dependent person. It's not fun. You're eating little small meals. Who wants that? Don't you just want to go to town on one big freaking dinner? I do. Um, and then also what it's doing is, is like, 
it is affecting your brain in ways that are not productive to your life. If you really want to be on fire in your brain, then you have to satiate it. And the way to run your brain right, doesn't it seem wrong that our hunter-gatherer ancestors, what, would have had to eat every two, three hours? That would have been absolutely- They wouldn't have time. (laughs) Like they wouldn't have been able to. And they also wouldn't have, they would have like passed out and been hangry and oh my God, and dizzy after three, four hours, they would have all gotten murdered by some predator because they'd be crashed out sleeping. And we, (laughs) you know, procreation population would have never happened. It doesn't make sense this is completely aligned with our DNA as humans, right? And cows have its own set of DNA and we have ours and our DNA dictates that we do eat certain things. Now you don't have to eat red meat, but part of being paleoprimal is eating things that had parents. So whether that's eggs or fish or whey protein. I love that, by the way. I, I just love that because nowadays with so many people um, trying to pursue the vegan diet and things like that I'm just like I just I it just doesn't work for me and and all respect to everybody that works for them you know I, I really don't want to suggest that people should eat in a different way but personally my body wants meat and especially you know when you're a menstruating a woman you know like two or three days before my period all I want my body just wants a steak fish and eggs yeah. Like, this is all I want. I literally wake up at 5 a.m. Two days. And I, I literally, it's like a, it's like clockworks. I know when I wake up at 5 a.m. So hungry uh, for and uh, knowing that I want egg. I need to eat eggs now. And so I, I always make sure a week before my period, I have in my, uh, in my fridge is like steak, eggs, and fish. It's always ready there. You know, salmon, etc. So I know that I'm gonna wake up at 5 a.m. And I'm going to want salmon and egg or, or steak and egg. Yeah. There's a reason for that really, because our cells, particularly our hormones, lack of cholesterol, lack of saturated fat is what contributes to. So for example, if you were raised as a vegetarian or vegan, there's people that never got their period until they were like 30 or something. And then on the converse, you go through early menopause at like 40 if you are a lifelong, often vegan or vegetarian, because you're not getting the cholesterol that bathes our cells. All of our cells are bathed in cholesterol. And that would be, that would go to someone who had MS, you know, the myelin sheath, the sheath around the nerves that gets eroded away when someone has MS, that's, that's all cholesterol. So we do need that, which is all of the things in those. That I eat. Yeah. And I really think if you listen to your body, your body will tell you what it needs. If, especially if, if you don't eat for long hours, you know, like for example, right now it's 6.30 PM in London. Um, since morning, I've had one bowl of, uh, there was one avocado in it with some mozzarella cheese and uh, a few tomatoes. That's a bowl. That's all I've had since morning. And great. you are running on fat right now. You fueled yeah. your brain with that's mostly fat. It's a great yeah. kind of and I work till midnight, you know, and I'm building a big business. The company is already valued at over 20 million pounds, you know, and what we are building. I just built it with my own empty hands. I couldn't do it if I were to be if you were a um, sugar burner, it would I be wouldn't really be able to difficult. do it. Yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. 
Yes. Right. So, and that's what I say in my confident book too. Like if you want to be more confident, you can be more confident and be maybe an obese person and be unhealthy and you could do that, but it's going to be a lot easier mm -hmm. <laughs> brain and body. When you start to focus on your health and loving yourself and what you're putting in it, it's a very tough day when people are like, what do you mean? No grains bread is a part of my life. You have to do the N equals one experiment to get to where you are, to where I am. All of the success stories that we have at Mark's Daily Apple, which is Mark Sisson's uh, blog, and he's my publisher, and I also host his podcast. Um, he, you know, all the success stories are like, yes, I lost 100 pounds, or I got rid of the skin disease, and those are all great. But the thoroughfare is like, oh my God, I, I'm not addicted to food anymore. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't even think about no, that. Think about it, is yeah. the biggest freedom I've ever experienced in my life. I thought at one point, and I talk about this in my first book. I thought I would have to go to Overeaters Anonymous. I thought I had a problem. I thought it was just me. I thought, is everybody else uh, just lying? Are they also struggling in their head and constantly thinking about food? And I thought, oh my God, am I going to have to live every day with my life like this? Like I literally thought that it was something wrong with me. And if that's you out there and you're going, yeah, I feel that way. It's not you. It's what you have accidentally, unbeknownst to you, made you become. You have become a sugar burner dependent on glucose as your freaking crack. And until you unaddict yourself and flip the switch on your genetics to prefer fat as the primary fuel, you're never going to get anywhere. Not with weight loss, not with this, not with that. Now, of course, there's other factors like health things and, you know, things that come into play here. Um, so that is why I wrote the paleo thyroid solution. It's not just, oh, I got fat while I was hypothyroid and here's how to lose the weight. The reason, and I won't get too into the weeds on this, but the reason it's connected is paleo primal ancestral living, like I just mentioned, a high fat or moderate fat, moderate protein, low carb diet. You can even switch that protein and fat there, but essentially it's still a low carb diet with whole foods. So the quality of foods is important. Of course, as I mentioned, getting rid of the seed oils and canolas and you know doing all the healthy stuff. It is the ultimate in blood glucose management and the ultimate in adrenal management. So if you are a high performer, you are usually probably going to be in a more higher cortisol state. I do suggest people stop and try to chill out with multitasking and things that put them in a fight or flight when they don't need to. And you can just mm -hmm. check your aura ring or your heart rate monitor. And you'll see that when you're working a million miles an hour, trying to do 15 things at once, your heart rate is up. So that's pumping out cortisol, right? And so that's antagonistic to thyroid and antagonistic to every sort of health endeavor we want to achieve. So the way to mitigate that is to really be aligned with your DNA as a human being and go in this direction. Now, I agree with you. If you are making the choice to be vegetarian or vegan, it is a choice. Just know that you are making the choice to go against your DNA and you're going to run into problems because you cannot live without B12, which is why they have to supplement with that. The other truth is that I have never in my life seen a vegan go longer than 17 years without running into serious health problems where they were then forced to eat meat, whether they had to hold their nose and eat it like medicine and get the taste out of their mouth forced by their doctors and by the way that they felt. So I've never seen even the best vegans that do it as like, you know, as, as clear, clean as possible and really do it right. I've never seen them last beyond a certain point. The other truth is, is that if you're craving it, your body is too. Okay. You know, we had a friend who was a vegetarian. She got pregnant and she started having dreams about digging her hands into ground beef. And we were like, well, what the hell do you think your body is telling you? And she mm -hmm. finally was like, had these dreams. And she was like, all right, I guess I, I should probably eat. Some. Yeah, 
Yeah, because your body is saying do it. So it's interesting to me that the vegans and vegetarians want to make fake meat things that taste and look like real meat. And the texture. Of that thing, eat it. Now, I know vegetarians and vegans that have always been disgusted by meat and the idea of flesh and the taste. I get that. I understand that. But it's the ones that aren't that just are doing it because they think it's better for the environment or this and that. We could have a whole podcast on that because that yeah. is vegan propaganda and it's bullshit. But, but, but that is a choice you're making, but you're going against your DNA and you might run into some problems and you just have to be honest with yourself about that and what you need to do, the extra steps you need to do to get amino acids, to get B12. You must do that if you're going to make that choice. Yes, definitely. And, and ultimately, a lot of that has to be processed in a factory, you know, to make it possible for you to, to and it's never going to be quite like, you I know, know that. The ingredients in the Impossible Burger and Beyond Meat are disgusting. They are absolutely BS. And the fact that they even make it so that it looks like it's bleeding, it's like, are you kidding me? Just eat a burger. That is what <laughs> your body wants. It's what your DNA wants. Um, so yes. And now, I always push regenerative agriculture meat. I get my meat from repprovisions.com. They are out of Oklahoma. Regenerative agriculture is very important. It's the way that we farm old school where the cows are grazing and they're eating the land. And as they stomp and poop on it and there's butterflies and like the whole ecosystem is created, that is healthy for the environment. Not the meat from cows that you see off the side of the freeway that are all mooing and they look like they're walking in mud and it's disgusting and they're being fed grains. Okay. Why are those cows yucks? When people look at labels at the store and they see that it says on meat, no antibiotics, right? And you would go, well, why, why would, why would there even be antibiotics in this equation? It's because when you feed a species, us, or you feed a cow, it's non-native diet, which is supposed to be grass, and you feed it grains, guess what? They get sick. Just like we get sick when we grains, yes. are non-native. So what else is non-native to us? Grains, legumes, beans, and dairy, most dairy. Butter is a little bit different. Ghee can be acceptable. Some heavy whipping cream is different, but 65% of the population has an issue with casein, which is in most dairy. Dairy is really meant for baby cows baby yeah. right so um so that's all limited i'm not saying that's not occasional but if you're going to do a strict paleo thing those are the things that are eliminated from it occasional potato yes there's arguments in the paleo community as to how long potatoes were really around or how long we're eating them and sure we would have maybe eaten anything in terms of like famine times maybe we would have grabbed it but we weren't eating these things and these things are found to be most offensive to people with disorders that are immune related and in general just gut health health in general acne you know uh, one way to get rid of your acne is just go paleo we have too many stories about people completely clearing up all skin issues in fact there's a woman who wrote a book um, about curing her a crazy skin disorder that's very rare a very rare disease and she cured it by going ancestral so again it's because we're getting back to what our genes and our dna expects of us just like i want to eat the beef off of a cow that's living the life that its dna expected of it right we don't go i've never seen anyone cook up a steak and feed it to a horse that would be fucking cruel right because Horses don't eat steak. That's not in their DNA, right? And so that's what we have to remind ourselves. So half the things people are eating out there are not aligned with what our DNA expects of us. And that's going to throw things off. 
and turn on certain genetic switches we don't want to turn on for certain diseases and whatnot. Now, of course, there's optimizing nutrients. There's lots of things that you may not just be able to get through diet. You, I had to have some interventions on, you know, going through getting some supplementation and some levels up. Yes. Um, so long about way of just talking a little bit about paleo ancestral. If anyone is really curious about just the topic of paleo primal living, I suggest reading Mark's book, The Primal Blueprint. Mark Sisson, it's in his fourth edition. That is sort of the definitive sort of like Bible on this is what that's about or The Paleo Diet by Lauren Cordain. Those are the two books I would look into. The other is my favorite documentary on the subject is the best. I think it's free on iTunes right now, Apple. Anyway, you can look for it. It's called The Perfect Human Diet. And my friend CJ Hunt was a raw vegan vegetarian. He dropped dead on the racetrack at 21, and he searched the world for the perfect human diet because he's like, why did I have a heart attack at the age of 21? He was a raw vegan for many years, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, he's an investigative reporter who did an incredible documentary on this subject. So if you're not really into reading about it or whatever, go watch The Perfect Human Diet or go to marksdailyapple.com, which is Mark Sisson's blog. You can type in why grains are unhealthy. You can type in how to evaluate a lipid panel. So many articles on health um, and optimizing nutrition. There's free you know, meal plans, et cetera. Um, everybody can do this, but you should. And I didn't realize how long I was going against what my DNA wanted of me and the changes when you do are pretty miraculous. It's amazing. I will definitely put uh, the link to both of your books. So they are on, uh, on uh, Audible as well? No, I do not have audiobooks for them. I, I might come out with an audiobook for the second one. The first one doesn't have an audiobook because you really need to see the blood charts, the graphs. Okay. The, you know, it would be like too many PDFs, but they're all on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Yeah, yeah. Well. I'm going to order that. Uh, I personally, I'm more of an audio listener, but yeah, the, yes, you're right. It does make sense. Yes. Okay, awesome. Uh, so we will put the link to all of those to your podcasts. Uh, then um, I will talk to you about having you at uh, one of our events. I think you would be, um, you'd be amazing and uh, on that note i mean it's been a fascinating uh conversation and, and i'm gonna i'm starting to get a bit hungry and i'm thinking i'm gonna go and have my bone broth <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Super>. yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing thank you so much it's been great talking to you I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Elle Ross. Make sure to check out her website, lross.com. Everything you need to know is listed there to help you gain control of your health and gaining confidence to advocate for yourself and be successful all around. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Somi REM podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. You can also find the full video of these conversations on my YouTube channel and connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Clubhouse at Somi Arian. Finally, if you're not yet a member of Fempeak, head over to fempeak.ai, register and join a community that actively supports women's professional growth.